All right. Record is hit for me. I appreciate you. I preach. Preach. I uh, I don't even know how to do this anymore. It feels like... We take one week. It's, so it's long. the longest break that the Dawdler's philosophy has had in its existence. Since last August or whatever, we've never chilled this long. Never. Never chilled. How are we ever going to get back into it? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So we say something about how, who we are and shit like that, right? Indeed. Well, I am Ryan, Mr. Introduction McKenna. And I'm Harland Coke Machine Glow Grant. And this is the Dawdler's Philosophy Podcast. Of indeterminate indeterminate duration. talk about current events no i mean a current event current events there was uh what did what did he facetiously call it the battle of the century or something i think they said the debate of the century yeah all right <laughs> uh slavoj zizek locked horns with jordan peterson in Trana about <laughs> happiness, capitalism, and Marxism was that the ter- the terms of the debate? It was the, the 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 framing of it was so driven by Jordan Peterson. It's not even funny. Well, he tried. <sighs> well, I mean, he you know the whole happiness and then marxism and capitalism and you know pitting them against each other that's all his language i'm guessing oh you think he kind of set the terms i don't know if you know any more about the background than i do the parts of it that i know include that zizek would kind of offhandedly throw shade at peterson during other talks as part of one of his many colorful asides and just kind of be derisive about Peterson. But then since they both have their respective, though not necessarily respectable, cult followings, they, the, their fans heard about each other and they kind of drummed up all this, oh my God, they, oh, they just uh, going against each other. Ah. Do you know any more details about how 
the two actually agreed upon this? I think, um, if memory serves correctly, they do these kinds of talks in Cambridge or Oxford or someplace like that, and they'll they'll talk to anybody, you know, like, uh, you know, the the Mark fucking Hamill. I love Mark Hamill, but you know, they'll talk to him about Star Wars and then they'll talk to, you know, <clears throat> some celebrity chef and then they'll talk to Zizek. And I think, if I am correct, that it was Peterson was the guest before Zizek. And then, of course, they were felt prompted to ask him. I'm guessing this is, I may be incorrect in my recollection of this. And that's when he threw shade at not just Peterson, but people like Pinker and stuff like that. And I think Peterson is more is kind of a Pinker guy, you know. Uh, he's real impressed with Pinker's outlook on life or whatever. And so I think that maybe where, you know, the well-being stuff also is kind of hardening for Peterson. Not that he doesn't already have his whole people are miserable, you know, kind of thing. That sort of religious thing. But anyway, and then <laughs> I think there was something on Twitter, perhaps, and something along the lines of, and I, of course, can't imitate Peterson's voice, but it was, you know, anywhere, anytime, I'll debate you and shit. Oh, he threw down a gauntlet on the Twitter. Anytime, yeah. anywhere. That's funny that he'd be the one to say that because they did it in his backyard, right? Yeah, <laughs> they did it in his hometown. So Jesus like, whatever, I'll come to you. I'm always fly, flitting around the whole world. He yeah. seems like a very world citizen type. For sure. Yeah, no, he's definitely very world citizen. There was some comedian who wrote something for something that's based out of Toronto, and I sent you that little quote. And, uh, you know, he said, I was at Toronto's Sony Center waiting for the start of what was being called the debate of the century between Slavoj. I found this shirt, Zizek, and Jordan. Why should I leave a good tip if the service was bad, Peterson? I found that humorous. But uh, <laughs> I, lo I also found it funny because clearly that's a little shtick we do at the beginning in the introductions. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, but... Um, yeah, I don't know where to really necessarily begin other than that's sort of the background. And then they got together, you know, in this debate of the century. Fuck. Well, as soon as, as, soon as you say something's it, the so century, of the, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Each of them, I would say their main work and what they would say if they were in the basement just gabbing with you, is what their intellectual passions are and what they really care about. For Peterson, it would be the Jungian-slash-religious-Christian archetypal psychology or whatever, right? Like the whole stuff about, um, well, there's all these deeply embedded mythos systems in the subconscious and Christianity is the most well-expressed one in the West, and we need these... You know, that would That's kind of his thing, right? 
Yeah. And Zizek's thing is, oh, well, I'm a Lacanian psychoanalyst through the lens of Hegel. And he just writes thousand page books about Hegel. <laughs> so they both have their thing. But then they also both talk about stuff that actually activates chimpy audiences in Western world, early 21st century. They'll talk about political issues and stuff, and that actually gets people's hair up. So then they also, that's, I think, why they become well-known instead of being obscure weirdos that we usually talk about on Dollar's Philosophy, because they're willing to engage in this political talk, right? When they do that, Peterson is... To me, obviously in content, but veiled in rhetoric on the right. He knows he doesn't often vocally cop to that, but I think it's quite clear that that's where he's coming from. Yeah. And then Zizek calls himself a communist, but isn't really, and kind of does that as a troll. <laughs> and he even said at some point during this debate, I think, that, well, I say this to provoke, you know, I'm not, but. <laughs> so that's another interesting dynamic to me is that the one guy says he's a thing that he's not and the other one doesn't say he's a thing that he is. <laughs> so then you've got this debate that's supposedly between capitalism and communism or Marxism. And then the the capitalist is like, well, I'm not really arguing in favor of capitalism. You know, I just, uh, I'm kind of just critiquing Marx. And then the other <laughs> guy's like, well, yeah, I'm supposed to be on the left, but the left hates me. And I'm not really a communist anyway. <laughs> so. uh, yeah, right. Yeah, the, I think the problem might be that with all of this stuff is that they can, you know, on the, the why I, the the thought I have about people like Zizek and Peterson in the world today, let's just say, is that they don't, because they're so amorphous in many ways, um, you can kind of see, you can pour all the good or the bad you want into them and they will just have, they will be, the, that dye, that color will will come out, you know, because they don't take, it's almost like a politician or whatever. You're never quite sure what, policy issue they're actually standing on because they don't they you know everything's shifting from day to day so they're never quite sure what they want to do and it almost feels like peterson more than Zizek, that he is literally like before our eyes a lot of these idw types like literally just like figuring the shit out as they go and you're literally watching it but they they come up on stage and they sound super confident like they've been thinking about this for the they had this thought like you know 900 years ago or whatever and uh it's no nothing's changed since it's i've just had more confirmation of my beliefs or whatever so it's, it's just, they're just sort of a strange thing there's this one guy who I follow on Twitter who's totally I don't like him and he totally gets my shit up and he totally says this right wing corporate shit but he's also a co-founder of Greenpeace apparently I looked it up and Greenpeace is like yeah it was just a bunch of people on a boat and those people that happened to be on the boat all say that they were co-founders but it wasn't there was no like hard and fast organizing uh, you know uh, thing it was just people wanting to stop 
bombing in, you know, the fucking Pacific Ocean or something. So anyway, but the, these people that we see say things, it's like half the time, okay, you're saying something to provoke, but to what end, you know? Um, is this just uh, personal branding, you know? And you just like like Howard Stern, get it get people who love you and hate you. They'll all gonna, they're all going to listen, you know, cause they want to hear what you're going to say next. Like, it's just hard for me to gauge, you know, exactly what these Peterson strikes me as a true believer type in a couple of areas, such as his gender stuff, his anti progressivism in the, both linguistic and social norms around gender fluidity that were that are becoming hip these days. Mm-hmm. Right? He seems to genuinely get dogmatic and angry and chimpy about all that stuff really fast, which makes me think that's one thing that's deep in there. That's how he really he really hates that stuff. <laughs> Not that he's just doing it as a marketing tool. Sure, I get that. For sure. I would say, as well, um, I mean, that seems to be a, a, a thing with the IDW, for sure. The, any All those people that would uh, be associated with that thing, the intellectual dark web, they seem very much oriented towards just 20th century thinking about Whatever the topic is, it could be gender. Um, it could be, you know, uh, various roles that people play in society, all that kind of shit. Um, but yeah, I guess that, I mean, those are the things that I guess I, I mean, my thinking about someone like Jordan Peterson, though, is that though he doesn't like, you know, you get the sense that he doesn't like gender fluidity, he doesn't come right out and talk about it in a, straight up way saying like gender fluidity is bad or however he would say it. Um, because he's, he's so, it's so hard to follow for, for me at least. Cause on the one hand he opens up saying all ideas are wrong. And then he says, something's absolutely true, you know? And it's like, okay, he's got got that so bad. It's crazy. So there's no, not not a lot of consistency to follow and you have to be a really good uh, or better than me rhetorician to really be able to not get uh, beat up in the head about all this stuff. Because at the end, all I ever get from him, I don't remember words he says as much as I just remember the thrust of like emotional yelling. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, that's what I feel like happened. You know, it's like um, with Peterson. Uh, but I mean, I have my sympathies, but the the problem is the sympathies and my resistances are almost lame ducks in and of themselves because he he talks about hierarchy and that essentially, you know, we're biological creatures and lots of biological creatures, you know, exhibit hierarchical patterns in the way that their social activities are arranged, you know, or whatever. And that's fine, <laughs> but at the same time, my real resistance is it's kind of like such a broad thing to say and hang your hat on 
that it doesn't serve any point later on down the line about shit like, I don't know, gender fluidity or the role of men and women in society or whatever it is. It's just like, yeah, okay, there's hierarchy. Like, I mean, it, it seems to me like he's putting too large a framework over something that is sort of a momentary thing, not momentary as in like it'll never come around or it hasn't its own patterns or whatever, but it just seems like he's trying to basically bring in a 50 foot wave to just wash out the beach, you know, and just say, well, that takes care of that. We don't have to worry about that anymore. And I don't know. Sometimes it's like, I think the wave misses whatever details is trying to wash over kind of like Pinker, you know, Pinker and his whole like life's improving everyone. It's like, well, okay, fine. You know, I can see that in general, the overall arc that technology, for instance, is having in our lives is improving them, but not like everybody's life. A lot of people suffer while the technology is in play. It's not until later. You know, it's just like, I don't know. These people seem to be saying really big things that in the end, I'm not quite sure what they're saying at all, because it's sort of like, yeah, okay, but what what is the main thrust you're trying to put out? Okay. It's a yeah. detailed Let thing, me, you know, it's like, ugh. Loop back from what you were just saying to the debate and then back to what you were just saying. Mm-hmm. So Peterson went first in the debate and he took his first turn kind of saying in general this. I don't know a goddamn thing about this Zizek guy other than that my fans were telling me he was making fun of me and I don't like it and I got to stand up to him. (laughs) So I went to read his stuff in preparation for this debate, but it was too... I didn't like it. This is Harlan speaking now, (laughs) but I would say it was too complicated for me. I couldn't understand it. I wasn't capable, so I stopped. But for whatever reason, Peterson tried to look into Zizek and then didn't. So instead he said, well, all right, what is Zizek? Oh, he's a communist Marxist. Okay, well, I'll just go read the Communist Manifesto, and that'll be my prep. I'm getting into too many things, but I got to remember the thread was to get back to hierarchies. Reminding (laughs) myself, hierarchies. One of the things that Peterson said in this that really rang my bell was, because his theme is, well, I don't like the postmodern neo-Marxists. That's this categorical group phrase that he throws around all the time and puts things that he doesn't like in there and, and tries to pillory it. Most of the rest of us think he doesn't understand what any of those terms mean. <laughs> in this debate, we heard him say, I haven't read Marx <laughs> since I was in high school or whatever, and yeah. I read it once back then. So he is a major intellectual figure on Earth 2019, and his major message is anti-Marx, and he hasn't even read Marx as yeah. an adult. So mm-hmm. that seems very irresponsible to me. More strikes on Jordan Peterson. I reread the Communist Manifesto, and I thought it was bullshit. Everything in it was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever read. I chose to pick ten giant fallacies in it, and I'm going to talk about these ten fallacies. So he went through his interpretation of Marx, which I couldn't directly tell you why it's 
full of crap because I also have not extensively read in this area. But I'm confident that someone who has read Marx well, and Zizek did spend maybe a couple of minutes on this, just saying like, yeah, this is sophomoric. You haven't read any of the other things. It's out of context. You don't know what you're talking about. But anyway, Peterson did that. And one of the, I think it was toward the end of his 10, but he was talking about how, well, yeah, these fucking communists, they want everything to be flat and everybody to be equal. And and this is a myth. This is silly. You can't have that because, among other things, human beings aren't only social. They're also just animals existing in a natural, hostile world. And they're are inherent hierarchies in many different ways amongst animals. I want to hear from you what your definition of hierarchy is and help me understand him on this a little better. I figure that it mostly comes from the conservative picture of capitalist quote-unquote meritocracy where they think, or in theory, the people who, with the most talent and or who work the hardest will make the most money. And that in a free market. That, it, you know, the, it'll float, the cream will float to the top type thing. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, as always, you're, you know, you're studying something in, in nature, um, you know, out in the wild. You know whether you're Robert Sapolsky studying baboons, and or you know you're or you're you know I don't fucking E.O. Wilson studying ants or whatever. You know you're going to be studying social hierarchies and hierarchies in that sense, as I understood it, and have always thought of it, is it's about priority, like who gets what first, you know, and who get who gets to wait last, and it's all very alpha beta oriented. Um, and that's what I understand it. So to you're saying be. a social hierarchy would mean a tendency in the mechanisms of distribution of something amongst the agents in the society based on some perceived trait. Yeah, however you define society and to whatever set of agents you apply it <laughs> yeah i mean it's that's it's, it, but i think but priority, do you remember though, it's like military stuff you know it's like and yeah uh, you got but, your generals and colonels and lieutenants and whatever and they have a particular order and each one of them can boss the people below them and listen to the people above that kind of thing to an extent yeah i mean chain except, of command right exactly and the, the the idea of earning a position higher than another or whatever is going to be different in the military than, say, in the fucking ocean. You know, if you're a bunch of, I don't know, whatever, uh, a pot of whales or something, you know, like, um, so yeah, I think that there's, uh, or wolves, you know, or lions, they always exhibit quite a bit of hierarchy, social hierarchy with respect to uh, who gets to eat uh, first and, you know, um, you know, who gets to hunt, who gets to do all these various activities that they do to survive. But do you remember that part 
where Peterson, when he was talking about the hierarchies, stressed that he thought they weren't based around power, right? <clears throat> and then the audience laughed at him. Yeah. And he, but it it's sounds dumb. to me like what you're describing is closer to just a power dynamics thing. Well, I think he, and, and I mean, he rails often against, and this is the other thing that's part of this whole shit, is the postmodernism thing, and in particular, probably Foucault, uh, Michel Foucault. And Foucault was like, it's all about power, right? And um, playing out today in society, one could say that that's what all of this stuff is about. Um, you know, the reactionary responses that everybody has towards, you know, whatever their identity group is or, you know, or the intersectionality of how they operate and the circles they run in. Uh, it could be, you know, whatever. It could be power for flat earthers. It could, you know, <laughs> and I think it's just more intensified than usual. I mean, there's always going to be antagonistic relationships between groups, it seems anyway, in society, uh, or there seems to have always been, but it right now is more intense than at other times. And, um, I think it's all about power. I mean, why wouldn't it be? It isn't he the one who was like, you can't tell me what to say. Isn't freedom of speech about power? You know, I mean, thinking about like how the Roman Catholic church has had like these sort of papal restrictions on education because they don't want people to read and learn and get smart and all, you know, because they're worried that they will be like, fuck this bullshit. I'm not giving them any money. You know, like, I don't know. To me, it's all about power. And that's the, the funniest thing that he would say. He seems so unprepared. He just seemed like he was flailing, I guess, is my thinking on it. Well, it doesn't help. He's not very smart. <laughs> That's an advantage in this venue, but mm -hmm. so are there? You probably—I don't know if you know the answer to this question. Are there people on the quote-unquote left who would dispute the claim? Take given any population and any measurable. Behavioral capacity, there will be a gradient of success. So you take the the people in this high school classroom and you take them down to the weight room and you have a max out on the bench press. Everybody lift as much as you can without injuring yourself in a controlled environment. And then we write it all down on a piece of paper. And, you know, these kids could do 250 and these could do 200 and what, you know. That's the kind of hierarchy that I think Peterson cares about, but then I wonder if that's aptly labeled a hierarchy when you're just stressing, yeah, certain people can do stuff that other people can't do as well. Well, but that just seems... Well, I mean, I guess from my perspective, that doesn't... I mean, you then it becomes, you know, people make decisions in the group then for whatever reason. You know, uh, this one can bench press the most. We live in a hostile world. I'm going to go stand next to that person and tell them how great they are. You know, like, I'll be that person's beta. The other person's like, wow, all these people are just being so nice to me. I must be super awesome. I don't know. Like, however it unfolds, that then becomes the sort of, I don't know, chain of command. It's not the right way of putting it. But 
you know, the... Well, I, I'm, one of my questions is, would you call that a hierarchy? Um, no, I would call it like a, a, a ranking or something like that. And, Sorry. Okay, do you think that that's what Peterson means? Or am I, is that just me being wrong? Well, I mean, I think that's ranking along one particular dimension. And I don't know if... I'm guessing that's not what Peterson means. In part, because um, apparently what was... And I guess I'm in, I may be interp over-interpreting this a little bit, but I was reading something and someone said that over the loudspeaker that like any kind of hecklers will be thrown out or whatever. And like the person was talking about how some of Peterson's, you know, goon-like big dude followers were, were like looking around for any like, you know, pencil-necked geek to like beat up or whatever. <laughs> But, you know, like, so I think there is a bit of power when it comes to Peterson. Does he possibly mean just ranking things in order? I guess not when it comes to social, because that's not like a social element. The social hierarchy, I think, is what he primarily is talking about. And I thought, and I, I've, I'm only going off of things he says, right, in these debates and some other videos I've seen. I've never read Maps of Meaning or... 12 rules for life. Um, just seen him talk about them, you know, and seen him put them out. I mean, he's got, he's obviously Mr. YouTube, right? Uh, but his, I mean, he's a psychologist and I think he's talking about, you know, how people interpret the world and the decisions they make based on the information that they have. And I think he's trying to say that that's, you know, natural, which is, I, again, to me, it's not a refutation of things that are going on today. If we're talking about, say, like gender fluidity or whatever, I, I don't know. Anyway, we're continue on with your process. I apologize for the long meandering answers. Oh, that's fine. I, I guess I'm trying to work this in to how hierarchies work in whatever we call it, conservative capitalist free market ideology. And I thought that it worked as though that they were saying that my version of Peterson's position is there are natural distributions of quality of possession of certain traits of, you know, so they're better or worse on these different dimensions. And the best way to maximize production of whatever, of wealth, of goods, of capital, of the best way to maximize human effort is to let all of those dispersed agents compete in an open, free market, and then the ones that are better will be rewarded for being better at the thing, and then they can use the profits accrued through their labor and investments to produce wealth for Earth. Because that's how he gets around to his claim that under capitalism, not only are the rich getting richer, but the poor are getting richer too, right? Yeah. Which I think you also picked up on. And mm -hmm. I don't know, is, is this, is what I'm just saying no, square I, I mean with your interpretation? 
Yes, that does square with my interpretation. So I'll stop fighting against. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the Pora getting richer thing? I think you had mentioned that at some point. I was a little frustrated that by that because it's clearly relative to, you know, overall differences between. I mean, to say the poor are getting richer is, I mean, sure, okay, but against what? You know, it looks like I don't have all the details in front of me. I guess I could try and find it. <sighs> Reading this book by Peter Turchin called Ages of Discord. But there's um, the money that uh, people have, you know, at different times. Uh, can be valued differently. So in, uh, you know, hey, I have $10 and somebody in the past has like two cents. Yeah, okay, the rich are getting, or I mean the poor are getting richer or whatever. But two cents may have been more valuable in the past than $10 today or whatever. Like I feel like they don't go into the details about, you know, these economic variables that they want to say, yeah, sure, the, the, the poor are getting richer because what? They have McDonald's? And they just, you know, I mean, look, what is it that makes people richer? Um, and so, you know, I mean, yes, they have more opportunities because somebody or groups of people tried to make sure that as many people had opportunities that they weren't having before. But that, again, is that same old, like, pinker line of, like, that position where it's just like, everything's improving, so shut the fuck up. You know, it's like... Okay, that's not the point of what people are trying to say. They're saying that relative to the past and to, you know, uh, you know, within today, things are not. They're getting actually, you know, worse or whatever. And anyway, I don't want to get off crazy yet or at all. I don't know. Yet? Ooh, you're going to get crazy later. <laughs> get crazy. <laughs> no, but... um. I just don't want to. One of the ways I don't want to be that Peterson preachy. phrased, yeah, let leave that to the lobsters. <laughs> One of the ways he phrased it was, "It's not like the rich people are just taking old flat screen TVs and locking them up in one room and not letting the poor people have any." <laughs> and I want to kind of, I would be like, I don't know, they kind of are, like literally. <laughs> Let me take you to the dive bar and the bar in the on the first floor of the fancy hotel downtown or whatever and look at how these 12 guys are crowded around an old tube television trying to watch a fuzzy soccer game on antenna reception and at the sports bar in the Hilton they have 12 big screen TVs and most yeah. of them aren't even being looked at or whatever. Yeah. And then look at the capital value, the monetary wealth of the individuals in those two rooms, average them out, and you'll see that the poor people have a lot fewer TVs and they're really not welcome in that other room. No. And this reminds me of the the difference between slavery and what they call wage slavery you know there's no one with a whip hitting you there's no legal paper that says you are the property of someone else but in effect there are many heavy pressures influencing you 
to engage in the work for the masters. And I'm pretty sure that this is a distinction that Peterson wouldn't like. And he wouldn't like this thing about the two different bars. Well, the people in the other bar, they're welcome. The door is open. This mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. Uh, there's laws about this. And if you're the wrong color or if you're too poor or if you're smelly or whatever, come on in. Well, you know, you, you're allowed. <laughs> and sort of, yeah, you're not literally the property of, of someone else, but you're still a slave. When you need to hold down two minimum wage jobs to try to feed your kids or whatever. And you're not really invited into the room with all the flat screen TVs. Yeah, no. And a lot of people feel like they need to break the law just to like, you know, break themselves from whatever the actual slavery is. I mean, for some people, I sometimes wonder if going to prison or jail is a is a better life. And I know that sounds terrible, but then the one that they're living, like there's that, like a woman who living in the projects called 911 because her kids like left her with the kids to bait her babysit her grandchildren again. And she got arrested and thrown in jail. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like there's no setup for families uh, who don't make gazillions of dollars to, you know, be able to get some fucking relief for a moment, you know, and uh, it totally infiltrates how they think about the world and it totally influences the decisions that they make because they're totally in survival mode. And I just think, yeah, you know, uh, you're welcome to, you know, uh, there's childcare out there. I mean, you could get a babysitter or a nanny but can they? Can they really afford that? You know, and in even if they're not, they're welcome to come in the doors and stink up the place or whatever it is. They're probably not going to be able to really afford to have a drink at that sports yeah. bar. They're going to have, you know, they they don't sell swill or whatever it is that the the common folk get to drink. I know this sounds very preachy, but damn what it, do it, they drink? I don't even know what the common drink. Fucking commoners. Damn commoners. Um, yes. So, what the fuck, Peterson? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Why should I tip if the service was bad, Peterson? That is <laughs> yeah. moniker. Yeah. I'm kind of with him on that one, but. <laughs> okay, what do you want? Do you want to go crazy on something? Or you were just. I was probably just talking. I mean, I it's crazy. It's just me. Just I I think for Peterson, he just doesn't realize the privilege that he has. He may have earned it, though. I don't know his backstory, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, you know, if I wouldn't be surprised either way if he came from nothing or came from, you know, he had inauspicious beginnings or not. I am. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's all of whatever it is has been forgotten at this point. And I guess when it comes to happiness and his whole take on people are miserable, it's like, it's another thing that seems like a very broad statement to make where he's saying a lot yet saying nothing at all. It's like, well, of course, you know, like you don't need to be a, a 
clinical psychology professor at an elite university or whatever, wearing fancy suits every day, to know that life is pain. You know, like it's just, I, I don't know. There's just it, it, it kind of, it's a death by a thousand butter knife cuts. Like it just, you know, he just has all of these very broad, nothing things to say that ultimately end up being like a huge insult or whatever. And I think, I don't know if he just feels the pressure now that he's like on a roll and he just likes having an audience and they agree with him. And so it's just self-reinforcing, you know, and it's just this positive feedback loop that's sort of gotten away from everybody because the reactionary thing just it just seems like a slippery slope and now there's no coming back from it because just looking at him on stage it was clear that he wasn't prepared it was clear that this was out of step he chose the wrong foil probably because you know in part he probably doesn't even care about the shit that she cares about he was probably just bored he's not gonna read haggle you know what i mean like it's right He's just like, oh, fuck, you know, I don't care about this. And I guess that's the other part that there's the other big insult, I guess, is that, you know, if he doesn't care about something or if he doesn't think or doesn't want to do something, then he makes this huge fuss. And it just seems super spoiled to me. And he's got a lot of people's attention now. And for what? You know, it doesn't seem like it's for anything at all, except for this guy to buy more suits. (laughs) <laughs> and steaks and salt that too you know you need your suits and your steaks so peterson showed up and he's like hey i went and read marks and i'm gonna yell about it and then he expected or hoped that zizek would get up there and take a turn that says ah let me enlighten you i will now defend marks against your 10 points yeah that did not happen no <laughs> like at all as far as I could tell, what did happen was Zizek read, parentheses, reread, perhaps, <laughs> some talk that he had given somewhere else and already wrote along to. You know, he is a very active individual. He's out giving lectures constantly. And, you know, Mr. YouTube number two, he's right. yeah. an inter- internet celebrity as a philosopher is going to be. And I've listened to many of them. And most if not all of the stuff he said at this is things i've heard in various other talks he recycles his jokes and he recycles his messages and whatever and it wasn't there was like no friction in the first in the two opening statements or whatever which were very long they must have been half an hour or something it wasn't like here's your five minutes now you rebut for five they went on yeah so Peterson did his whole big thing, and then Zizek just, like, talked. It wasn't about what Peterson had just said. It wasn't really about Marx. It was a ah. little bit about capitalism and happiness. But it was just like, here's some stuff, and I'm going to pick at my shirt and snuff on my nose and give it to you. Yeah. And he just put it out there like he does. He just was himself he unlike peterson didn't seem out of place or uncomfortable or whatever he's just like this is me and this is my thing and i'm gonna do my thing yeah so one of the things that i would lament and i i didn't like this about either of these participants 
I'm much more of a Zizek guy than a Peterson guy, but I, but Zizek sucks at this thing that I care about a lot. You have this opportunity to engage one another as discussion participants slash disputants, arguers. Let's actually talk directly to each other about the points we're trying to make. You formulate an argument. I'm going to either knock it down or buy into it. And, you know, let's... I want lots and lots of friction and back and forth. And neither one of these people do that. I think Peterson, because he's afraid and incapable, and Zizek, because he is perhaps nuts. I don't know if he, like, could do it but chooses not to, or if he's just so off in his own world and off in his own head that he doesn't even know that he's not doing Harlan-style dispute discussion. But neither one of them does it, and that bugged me. It was not a debate in any sense that I would use that word. Yeah, no, it wasn't. And, I mean, Zizek, you know, strikes me, and perhaps I'm just repeating you, but he just strikes me as somebody who didn't even know how the thing was being framed. Like, he just showed up. There was this video of him eating hot dogs on the street, walking to it. I mean, he was just, like, <laughs> shoveling hot dogs, wearing the same outfit, I think, and just do-do-do. Oh, it kind of like that opening scene of Louie where he, like, stops yeah. at the pizza place and exactly. then walks that down is... the street, goes down the stairs into the cellar. But... Right. Right, exactly. And so that's kind of, yeah, he was like, oh, I'm just going to do my thing at this place now. And it really, I think that's why they were a miss. But I don't know. I mean, there, there, he's done things where he goes on stage with other people, but he doesn't, it's not like he has this huge back and forth that I've ever seen with other people. Like he just, he is in his own head and I don't know what the ticks that he has are all about, but there's that element of just, he's just, yeah, off in his own head. And I don't know what it is that he's done in particular that people go, mm, man, that Zizek guy is fucking an up and comer. And then he arrives and everyone's like, damn, he's good. Like, I have no idea what it is that he's done. Uh, at least with Peterson, you can at least I can carve him at the joints somewhat, you know, to maybe it's because I'm in North American and and the, it just happens to be like that or whatever. And I don't I'm not an Eastern European or whatever. And if I was an Eastern European, I'd understand Zizek better. But it just Zizek's harder to carve at the joints with, with respect to, OK, you got everyone always throws he's a Lacanian talking about Hegel. I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I understand these are people and that they had a philosophy, you know, and that Marx, I think, what he went to the university and Hegel had retired by then or something. You know what I mean? Like, but still, like, I what? So what? You know, like, I mean. Uh, so that was my only that's my only thing about Zizek so he'll go on and on about stuff and I'm just like I feel like this is an inside conversation he's just picking up where he left off and I saw another interview with him and it was a weird setup in a car and they were going to go places and he just starts talking and he, the mm-hmm. way he walks down the street he's just like oh yeah I'm coming he's like picking at his shirt and stuff and he's just like let's go and do this you know and I don't even know if the person asked him any questions. He just started rambling on about porn and Jesus. And um, and I, I can see that he's got a lot of gears working and he's he probably is a 
a master analogist or something like that. I, I don't know. Um, uh, there is one thing that I like that he likes to talk about, and of course I would pick up on it, is like his whole view on ecology, which he adopts from this other critical theorist named Mackenzie Wark. I don't think he fully agrees with everything that this guy writes about, but, you know, it's all about uh, essentially taking, and he, I don't think he really talked a whole lot about this. He sort of did, but um, but it's all about taking, you know, the idea of balance in nature and kind of just saying there's no balance in nature. Shit's just happening. And I think that is a correct assessment of what he Oh, I remember he talked about that some in this on this evening as well. Um, he was yeah. using that analogy with French cuisine. He talked about oh, how... Yeah, that's right. Uh, the French, he... Well, he... I'm told by one of my many friends, uh, by this French chef friend of mine, that what that how yeah. French cuisine came about is that they would try to make something else, they would fuck it up, and then they would call it a success, but different. Like, we made some yeah. cheese and it smells like shit, but that's what... It's stinky cheese! That's <laughs> yeah. what it's supposed to be! <laughs> And he th- and he was saying that's what nature is like. It just tries out shit, and then it's like, oh yeah, that's what I meant to do. This is a flagellum. Yeah, right. Sure, and that's fine. And I I don't think that's crazy. But it's a way for him to talk about. Well, you know, fuck the past. Don't worry about it. Let climate change come. We'll download ourselves to the computer, and you know, like he's all about that. You know. Uh, what? Well, he seems. I think I think the exact opposite of what you just said. Not you, but but oh, you think he's the exact opposite that we should yes. save everything? I thought that. Well, he... all right. Well, here's what I think that he thinks about that. Nice. Um, Zizek was going on about the three catastrophes that are, you know, he says the light at the end of the tunnel is the incoming train or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he thinks that we're heading towards an apocalypse on three dimensions. One, ecological catastrophe, global warming type stuff. Um, he's very interested in brain-computer interfaces, such as, like, you know, you're hooked up and you can move the cursor with your brain or whatever, because he's saying, if you open this channel, it's two ways. And if you're able to send thoughts into a computer then the computer is able to send thoughts into you or they're able to monitor your thoughts and yeah he's freaked out by that and then some third one do you remember the third one i don't but there's a third one anyway so there's at least those so i don't think he's at all he really dislikes the singularity and is very frightened by that possibility i think he agrees that it is a possible future but laments that fact and would call it apocalyptic were it to come about for some reason, I remember, you know, in particular, uh, coming across a video of him and he was at a dumpster or like a like a waste management facility and he's wearing a, you know, one of those, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, neon construction vests. Or yeah, a little vest with a, <laughs> I think he's wearing a hard hat at times. <clears throat> and I thought that he was welcoming at the, at one point the, the, you know, the craziness that we're I doing. I don't think. And... So. I think. I don't remember exactly what he was saying in that video, though. I remember the description of the scene. <laughs> I, he might have just been talking about its plausibility or something, mm. but I don't think he's in favor of any of that. Because, okay. and this is why he and 
one of the reasons why he and why he didn't live up to Peterson's expectations as, well, I wanted you to come here and defend Marx. Because Zizek's current position on all of this stuff, as far as I can tell, is a non-committal contemplative position. And he has some big think videos about this or whatever. He's saying right now in the situation we've got to ourselves to, when you combine our economies, our governments, our technologies, our global influence on weather, on each other, we are off the rails. And what we need right now is some fucking thinking. We none of yeah. us should be activists right now for any position. No more doing. We need to thinking, chill the yeah. fuck out and think. So if Peterson wanted him to come here and be like, communism is the answer, that's not going to be Zizek because he's like, yeah, I maybe was there at one point. I don't know. I kind of <laughs> say that sometimes for fun. But my real position is not to have a position, but to say our problems are very complicated and very imminent, we need to figure this shit out, but nobody's figured it out yet. The capitalists don't work. Oh, he talked a lot about China. Yeah. As an exemplar of a success of a re- contemporary successful society, and that was his point. Well, they have a relatively free capitalist economy, but an authoritarian communist government. And the fact that these they're kind of like, let's throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. We'll do both. We'll be a hybrid. And he's like, well, that's kind of working. So why? Which parts of it work? Which don't? But one of the we things don't that, know the answers. One of the things that I thought about the economy of China that at least some economists would suggest is why it's stable is because the size of the population how can like for instance i think when they've done an amalgamation of all the faces that they can you know of a lot of faces probably doing sampling the person looks like they're from china you know of all the various regions of the world you know like in terms of how many people there are if you were to have some sort of like facial amalgamation of a human today it would be this person that looks sort of chinese there's just that many people that they have an influence on a process like that some kind of digitized uh, facial reconstruction type thing but um they just have a ton of people and how are you going to be a real authoritarian over everyone and because of the size of the population and the booming of the economy you know they're sort of in an era of good feelings right now i think just everything's everything's looking up at the moment they've some i remember seeing something that some economists are saying he was like if if what was happening in China today was happening in Vietnam. Vietnam would have already tanked by now just because they don't have the means of production or any of that to keep it going. You know, it would just collapse. So I think that's an interesting point. And I thought, though, about the idea that there's such a huge population. If I was on stage with Peterson and Zizek, I would have tried to mention something like that, and then everyone would boot me off stage. <laughs> You nerd! Yeah, or something. Yeah, yes. Um, but uh, why don't you go host a podcast somewhere? Somewhere, the you know the. I guess you could say, in some ways, aren't. I mean, it, I, I'm kind of off rails here, but what you were talking about with respect to Zizek, 
and the computer stuff where like your thoughts are going into the computer and you're, you know, why can't the computer's thoughts come into you? It doesn't that happen. Isn't that already happening? Like with, uh, Oh, just by us, uh, typing and watching things and just consuming, well, but also just, you know, like when we, yeah, when we are consuming, uh, YouTube and the algorithms or whatever, isn't that essentially the computer giving us thoughts like, Oh, we'll try this one. You know, like you might want to see this preview for an upcoming movie you've not heard right. of yet. You know, like, isn't that the idea that the computer is essentially giving you thoughts? Like, or are you just a substrate and shit hits your fucking brain pan and thoughts are magically blossoming out of the process? Was that in part of Peterson's thing and was he attributing it to Jung when he was saying most people, the way they think is that a thought presents itself to their mind, whatever that is, Keith Frankish, uh, <laughs> as an object in a room. And it's just, oh, this is here. Well, here's my beer bottle. That's a thing. And they thoughts just kind of appear to them, and they're like, oh, and they accept it because it's, it's in their brain. And they're like, oh, great, okay, that's a thing. Like, there's a beer bottle before me now, uh, or like, communism is awesome. Yeah, that's a thought in my brain, therefore it must be true. <laughs> that's, I wonder if that's an analogy for the, what the dystopic Zizek view of the computer interface thing would be. That right now, I like your point, that isn't that already happening, and I kind of agree with you that it is, but it could get worse such that there isn't even the medium of, well, I have the quote-unquote choice to turn it off and go take a walk outside and commune with the trees instead of with the the next mm -hmm. video in my binge. If they had this l neural link where they could just put it right in there, then for the vast majority of people, it would be, oh, that's a thing now. That's a thought in my head. It's presented to me like naive realism, whatever. It's just, that's a thing, and now I buy it. And that would be scary. Yeah. But I I mean, I agree with you that it's kind, to a large extent, it's already happening. Like a proto version it of it, maybe? could be worse, yeah. Yeah. Sure, I, I'm curious, though. Uh, because I, yeah... I just sometimes think like, well, I mean, it would be bad for you and me because we're middle-aged or whatever and, and you know, whatever. But for untold generations that have yet to be born, it might be just fine because they're evolving to deal with that situation, you know? And when you don't know anything different, you know, it's like, I mean... Uh, Think about all the things that we've created, you know, just if we're on the topic of technology, you know, that we, we, we could take somebody from the distant past, you know, 8,000 years ago and throw them in New York City. Wouldn't that suck for them? You know, if they're a 25-year-old adult uh, living in, you know, I don't know, East Asia somewhere, <laughs> just like, boop, pop you down in Manhattan. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, so sometimes I'm like, yeah, that would suck. But then I have to ask, like, maybe that would just suck for me. You know, like, would that suck for 
somebody who has yet to be born, who will be born into this world. Like everyone's always worried, oh, the screen, screen time, you got to limit the screen time. It's like, well, we don't know. Maybe that's like what the kids need. You know, we don't exactly know. We have ideas about the development of eyes and okay, that's fine. You know, you want to reduce the amount of incoming, you know, light and imagery and all that to maybe see if you know the eyes can develop as well as they can but do eyes need to develop as well as they can you know like (laughs) it's just like well what is it that we are holding you know i think this is the idea as well that zizek might be talking about was like it does nature have balance or is it just a little push and pull and back and forth and things are happening and that's you know that's evolution baby you know like that's my that's my thought. You're welcome, people. Isn't balance just perspective anyways? Mm. If you look at it from the right inertial frame and the right angle, then these things are in balance. But if you push the brakes then or tilt your head, then they're drastically out of kilter. I don't know. Obsession with balance is yet another dogma that i don't understand symmetry balance yeah yeah it feels akin to a view from nowhere kind of thing you know except it's like yeah. a, mo- a moving one you know so long as you have balance it doesn't matter if it's different than the balance before you know, just, uh, well, i don't know i mean i would call it a false stasis not a movement like to be in balance to me, sounds like a, some kind of static state that is that I'm stressing is only apparent from a perspective, because we're all just always falling around yeah. the sun or whatever. Right. And no, for sure. There is no genuine universal static elements at all. They're all just right. mistakes of perspective and language and ideas and yeah sounds like one way to wind this thing down is there anything else you wanted to hit about this debate i there's something i'll just say this and we can end it whatever much of my world and it could be a lot of people's now i don't know how many people are on twitter and i do not know how many people are on intellectual slash academic slash whatever uh twitter but it seems to me like there's people like Twitter to be able to just say something if it's a, if it's approval or dismissal. Um, and I don't see a ton, and maybe this because my bubble, but I don't see a ton of approval in this. You know, I see it on YouTube where people make videos and they're like, "Peterson is the greatest," or. Zizek shuts somebody down or whatever, that kind of crap. But at the same time, I I see a lot of individuals with accounts and they have their full fucking name, their profession, their face or whatever, and they all just hate the both of them, Peterson and Zizek. It was like a collective intellectual eye roll. And I wish I could find some of the people. um, Something Shapiro... Not the, Ben Shapiro. Not Ben, but another guy. Oh. <laughs> well, the last name is Shapiro. He's kind of like a Brian Leiter style, like professor of law or whatever. 
he, I remember seeing he had some comment and a bunch of other people had comments. Lots of people have, you know, like, it's just like, oh my God, you know. And no one's clear about why they don't like them. And I think that actually irks me more than the mud that the two can create on their own. <laughs> you know, Peterson and Zizek. Like, I'm just... Uh, well, it's just, isn't a lot of that the same thing as everybody thinking Batman versus Superman sucked, but no one being able to tell you why? Yeah, that's like, exactly You just what know the movies or the... Ba- Nickelback is bullshit, whatever. There's just these things that you're supposed <laughs> to hate, and yeah. then you just say it, but there's no. you're not making an actual evaluation. You're just parroting what you think your audience already thinks or but it's in disguise because it's not like joe schmo talking about a movie it's professor of such and such you know and it's like okay but that's the thing say it you're under the illusion of expertise right no that's what it is and such isn't just a fucking joe schmo well but i'm trying to oh that's your point (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly and it's like i'm with uh, (laughs) you It should be more than just Joe Schmo, and it's not. And it's like, all right, you know, a lot of, you know, I essentially half of Twitter is just Stuart Smalley, and I don't even know if how many people actually would get that reference. But it's just like, I'm good enough. Oh, they're good enough. They're I'm smart, smart enough. enough. They know. Doggone it, people like me, you know, and that's it. Uh that's how what a middle-aged reference. <laughs> Ryan old as shit, McKenna. Yep. Old shit, of course. The new shit, I'm not as uh, old as. I'm older than I mean. <laughs> All right. I guess we are... We're good. <laughs> I'll edit this one. I deserve... Good thing. I am entitled to my share of happiness. I refuse to beat myself up. I am an attractive person. I am fun to be with. Daily Affirmation with Stuart Smalley. Stuart Smalley is a caring nurturer, a member of several 12-step programs, but not a licensed therapist. I'm going to do a terrific show today. And I'm going to help people because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Hello, I'm Stuart Smalley. Well, I'm still receiving some negative reactions from my show about Pee Wee Herman entitled There But For The Grace Of God. To a mystical time zone And I missed my bed And I soon came home They said there's too much caffeine In your bloodstream And a lack of real spice in your life I said, leave me 